Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Andy Crash Connell. Monday, January 8, 2024. It is a fresh new podcast. A little uh, business here on Wednesdays. We usually do a repeat on Stand Up for the Truth, but I think on Wednesday what we're going to do is repeat uh, the over the weekend, Jan Markell, Understanding the Times, a special presentation at 9 a.m. on Wednesday. Special guest in the studio, continuing. It's a long morning for you, Tara Koslowski. It is. Uh, she's part of the morning show here on Q90 FM Radio. In Green Bay, Wisconsin, but uh, today it is it is Traffic Awareness uh, Month, mm-hmm. Human Trafficking Awareness Month, yes. and so we invited Tara to come on and talk about human trafficking. You're with Damascus Road Project. Correct. In Oshkosh. Let's start off with prayer and we'll get underway. All right. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have to learn more about an issue that is very dark in our country and very present in our country But Lord, we know that you have the power to change lives for those involved in human trafficking. And we ask that you do that all over our country. I pray that you would um, speak to us today, enlighten us and open our eyes to the truth about this issue and ways that how we can be the body of Christ and the hands and feet of Jesus to help those in need. Thank you for this time. We give you this program today in Jesus name, I pray. Amen. Tara Koslowski, um, you've been involved with human trafficking uh, for a long time. I have. Since, since like high school, I, college? Since college, okay. I've been an anti-trafficking advocate. So anti-trafficking. I haven't been involved in trafficking. I've been involved in anti-trafficking. I'm sure you get that a lot, right? <laughs> I do. Yeah. So I give do. us a little background about uh, you and uh, and how you got here today. Mm-hmm. That I get asked that a lot because, of course, many people who are advocates are get involved because that's part it was part of their story that's what happened to them but that wasn't the case for me i I grew up in wisconsin and went to a christian university um, went to school wanted to work with an international nonprofit organization was my goal maybe travel and do ministry work as well and part of that was being part of an internship at the salvation army and their headquarters are in the headquarters is in washington dc uh, normally, so my my college, it was a Christian college, they set up a program where students can go and learn about Christians in government. We got to tour the different government buildings and learn about the history, which was amazing. But we also were set up to do an internship. And most students did an internship with a senator or congressman from their home state, which at the time didn't really sound all that interesting to me. It, so. it isn't. <laughs> Answer, and most of them answered phones. You know, they did... kind of menial stuff where you're not really learning the process. So I asked to be placed with a nonprofit organization and they connected me with the Salvation Army in D.C. Um, And I had no idea who I was going to be placed with, but I happened to be placed with the Liaison Against Human Trafficking for all of North America. At the time, the first laws against trafficking were coming out in our country at that time. So it was very unknown. And I didn't know about it. I was reading emails and watching documentaries and my eyes were just open to something I had no idea about but at the end of it I was thinking 
this is so overwhelming, but now I have two choices. I can choose to pretend like I don't know because I really want to pretend like I don't know. This is a very, very dark thing going on, but I can't pretend like I don't know. So now what am I going to do? And I didn't know what that was, but I just asked God to lead me and he ended up leading me to be a missionary in Las Vegas. I spent two years there working with a ministry. During that time, we would go and do outreaches at the brothels. There's legal brothels outside of Las Vegas. So we'd minister to the women there. And then we would go and do Super Bowl outreaches across the country. We'd go and help to locate missing kids and then teach hotels and gas stations about human trafficking that could be happening in the area during that time. I've educated schools. I've spoken schools across the country. I've taught communities how to do these outreaches in their area so that they can be a connection and help businesses learn about human trafficking as well. And since 2013, I came back to Wisconsin and have been the uh, part of Damascus Road, a local ministry in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It's called Damascus Road. Damascus Road Project. Project. Yes. Officially, that's our name, but we call it Damascus Road. And I've been the, I'm the education and engagement director, basically reaching out into the community, connecting churches and the community on how they can be educated about human trafficking and what they can do to help. I remember your ignorance uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. And are you surprised to see that there's still ignorance? Somewhat, yeah. Yes, I am surprised there's still ignorance, but there has been a lot more, you know, more less people are ignorant, I would say, because when I would do presentations, I would have to spend a large portion of it convincing listeners that this is a problem. Now, because there's been lots of documentaries and films and news and media around it. I don't have to spend as much time, but there still are many people. I am surprised when I find that out that have no idea that it exists at all. Stand up for the truth. I'm Crash visiting with Tara Koslowski from Damascus Road Project. It is Human tra- uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Month. That's why we're talking about this. So let's go through some questions here. If you're uh, kind of new to what's happening here, listen up. And uh, hopefully this is something you can share with somebody else. Beyond the uh, sensational headlines, what are the everyday realities of human trafficking in in this area? That is something that, again, I get the ask. These are good. This is a great question because it's a common question. Because we're seeing so much in the headlines, it can be easy to gravitate towards the sensational. And, and one thing it does is it starts the conversation about what are the realities of human trafficking in our community. And I have a lot of parents that come up to me and say, I'm very careful. I don't, you know, I don't let my kids run in the yard. We have a fence. I don't let them go places by themselves. I don't let them go to the mall by themselves. And those are not bad things, but a lot of recruitment is really more so. It's not so much uh, something that you might see on TV or in a film where someone is abducted or taken while that does happen. Uh, most trafficking happens through recruitment, through a bonding process. And so it's an everyday thing because anywhere in our lives, uh, traffickers can find young, vulnerable people who are looking for love, who are looking for the hope, you know, a, a dream to be fulfilled, a dream of a job, a dream of getting out of a small town. And so that those are vulnerabilities that traffickers look for. So those kind of those people, anybody with vulnerabilities, we all have vulnerabilities, um, especially young people, though. And now with the Internet, there's access. I mean, so many when I was younger, of course, my parents always said stranger danger. Don't talk to strangers. Nowadays, people don't really talk to strangers 
but we're willing to share our innermost thoughts and feelings and personal information online where traffickers are mainly recruiting now. So what is really happening in our community basically is that if there's internet, there is recruitment and there is the selling of people going on. And as long it's it's the second largest criminal industry in the world. So an an industry, a business is governed by supply and demand. It is a buying and selling of people for for sex trafficking. It's for the purpose of sex. That's that's the industry. Traffickers are recruiting people and selling them for sex and they take all the money, all the gains. Um, so in our area, any anywhere, if you're gonna, if the demand exists that people are willing to pay for sex, then traffickers are going to be recruiting and selling people. Human trafficking is it only confined to sex work? Well, I would correct you. I want to rephrase the word sex work for okay. first of all, all right, because it's a controversial term. Because when you say the word sex work or even prostitution, most people in their brains, it automatically associated it, yeah. a choice. Mm-hmm. That it's their choice to be doing this. In trafficking, a person is manipulated or groomed with the promise of love. They may think that their trafficker, or I'm going to say their pimp, I use those terms interchangeably, that their trafficker, their pimp is their boyfriend. He's probably spent time building a relationship with them, giving them hopes and dreams. We could have a life together. We could have a house together. We could have a family together. We could have a nice car. I can get you connections in the music industry. I can get you connections here. But all you have to do is this. You just have to go and work. You know, I'll set up some dates for you and you work and then bring me the money and I manage it. And eventually there's more and more and more women involved. So to him, it would be considered work. But to them, it, they are victims. They're forced into prostitution because they didn't realize that this was the plan of their trafficker the whole time. So when I when we use the term work, that implies a choice. But um, whether someone's abducted and forced or groomed, um, they were, they're always... In that case, then, if they were forced, if they're recruited through force, fraud, or coercion, then it's considered sex trafficking and forced prostitution. Are there any warning signs uh, that folks can look for uh, for themselves or loved ones? Because it's not just limited to young people. Correct. So the definition, like I just mentioned, in the federal definition um, of human trafficking, it's a long definition. But basically, if you were taking this case to trial, but uh, it would you would need to prove force, fraud or coercion existed for it to be considered human trafficking in the state of Wisconsin. There just needs to be proven intent of those things for someone who's over the age of 18 or whatever the age of uh, a minor, you know, uh, an adult in, in that state. Um, if a person is a minor, though, it's always considered human trafficking because a child, even though it might look like it on the outside that they're choosing to do this. Even as an adult, it's always important to ask, what is going on behind the scenes? What is causing this person to do this? And sometimes it's what we call survival sex. If they um, don't have a place to live or maybe came from a really rough home or drug addicted parents, they they don't have a way to live. They will engage in survival sex. But if they've had a trafficker that has recruited or promised um, dreams come true for them, um, in that case, then it's considered trafficking because they didn't really completely understand. It looks like they're doing it willingly on the outside, but we have to look back and see what's going on 
behind the scenes. And that can be a person who's an adult or it can be a minor. But if it's a minor, it, you wouldn't have to prove force, fraud or coercion. It's always considered trafficking. Human Awareness, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Human Trafficking Awareness Month here. Our guest on Stand Up For The Truth on this fresh new podcast on January the 8th is Tara Koslowski with the Damascus Road Project. So are there are there some warning signs that we can? Yes. So one of the, we have actually red flag cards um, that we hand out at any of our trainings, but um, some things to look for, it kind of can depend on where you're located um, in terms of outward signs in public. For example, if you were at an airport or if you were um, things that we teach t- uh, to hotels and gas stations before big events like the Super Bowl or uh, any large event like that, we give them specific red flags for where they're working or where they're at. Um, some of those include, you know, it, oftentimes it's a much older man who's trafficking someone much younger. That's not always the case, but it's it's pretty common. Um, sometimes the victim, they might be from another country, although a lot of recruitment is happening within our own country. They could be from another country. They could um, not be able to speak for themselves or when asked a question, the adult or the older person, the one who seems to be in charge of this this couple, um, they the victim can't answer for themselves. So when we go to hotels, we often say, Practice good customer service. If, if someone comes up to you and you have suspicions, this doesn't look right, older male, much younger girl, look for some signs. Do they have, are they carrying, maybe they're checking in for a week, but they only have a grocery bag or a Walmart bag or something, a plastic bag with their clothes in it. I mean, somebody's coming to the Super Bowl, for example, for a week or, or, or traveling, they would have a suitcase. They would have luggage with them. Um, talk to the victim. Can they respond? Do they, are, they, are they able to talk for themselves? Do they know where they are? Oftentimes, traffickers will move their victims, and that's why um, Super Bowl or big events like that, traffickers will bring their victims to these events because they can usually make more money there. So a lot of times, victims are moved from different locations very quickly, and they don't even know where they are. So those are some signs that you can look out for when you're in public. But if there is someone close to you that might be recruited through the boyfriending tactic or manipulation, something like that, um, other signs could be, you know, if this is a young person, a teenager, obviously they might have a job, they might not. But if they suddenly have nice things like nice purse, nice clothing, they didn't have that before and maybe they had a job, but now they don't. That Where is all this stuff coming from? So that's a red flag. A, a young kid doesn't have just a lot of expensive things suddenly without a job. And even then, depending on where they work, they wouldn't be able to afford this. Maybe they start talking about their boyfriend. They're kind of vague, but they, they want to brag, but they're kind of vague about their boyfriend or where they met their boyfriend. Did they meet him online? Is he much older? Those are some red flags as well. Maybe they don't like to do the same things. They might have been into school, but now they're not. Um, they might also be exhibiting signs of trauma, like drug use or isolating um, they might be posting stuff online, too, on their social media that is just different than what they normally post. They might be those might be cries for help. Usually a victim, they're very careful because they if, if this is their boyfriend, if this is who they think is their boyfriend, if a trafficker has recruited them using the love bond or the boyfriend bond, they are not going to want to get that person in trouble. So they're not going to come out and ask for, hey, I need help. You know, I'm a victim here. They think that this is their boyfriend that he loves that he loves them. 
So they're not going to ask for help. So it's really important, though, um, that people, young, that parents and, and peop- if you're around it, you know, I have nieces, nephews, um, or any young person, if you're seeing these signs collectively, um, that could be an indicator that they might be in the process of being recruited. Uh, what, are, what are the common questions that parents will ask you about uh, apps or mm-hmm. online? What should I do? Is there something I can do to be more proactive at home? Yes. I, I think it's so important that a lot of the stories that we hear in headlines, at least I know on social media that I've seen, were cases that were an abduction type case or even a suspected abduction. So I've seen a lot on social media where somebody will post and say, this person was following me in the TJ Maxx or the store, or whatever store, and it was suspicious. And and not that we shouldn't be careful about those things, but if we spend so much time focusing on looking for potential trafficking situations and that could be missing uh, the recruitment process that could be going on in our own homes. So one of the cases that um, one of the survivors that I've worked with, her name was Teresa Flores, and she was uh, born in the 80s and was trafficked out of her own home. Her book is called The Slave Across the Street and, and worked with her on Super Bowl outreaches. But she talked about how she lived in her own home and her parents started knowing signs. She started skipping school. She started they just thought, is this teenager just just normal Phase. teenager behavior. Right. She doesn't like the things she used to like, and she's very distant from us. She, it, all of these things, they were wondering what is going on. And the traffickers would, um, they were her, her peers at school, so they would tell her, "We're going to call you up." This is at the time where you could have like one other landline in your home, so you had a landline, and you could have another line. This was in the '80s, so no cell phones. But they would say they would call her on her private line and say, "You got to sneak out and meet us here." And they would threaten her family. They got to know her family. They would threaten, we're going to hurt your family. We know when your brothers come home from school. We know everything about you. We're going to expose these secrets. They had previously drugged her and raped her and took pictures and said, we're going to show these around if you don't comply. So she was blackmailed into it, but she had to live in her home. And so that is why it's important that we think about trafficking, especially as parents, in a different way. That we could take all the precautions to keep kids safe on the outside. But if parents aren't, first of all, communicating with their kids about the issue of trafficking, but not only that, but building a positive relationship with their own kids and teaching them where do values come from? where What does God say about our image and who we are? Because a trafficker who is using the boyfriend tactic is going to approach a potential victim. He's going to look at vulnerabilities, maybe be at the mall, seeing you know young girls at the mall or even online. Look for someone posting, I just had a fight with my parents. I, I got to get out of here. Clues like that, that they might be struggling. He's going to create a wedge between them and their safety net, their parents or their friends, and build a bond. I would. He's going to say things like, I would never treat you like that. I'm a listening ear. You can always come to me. And so he's going to build that bond. And what parents need to do then is make sure that they're the ones who are telling their kids, you're beautiful. You are loved. Because if a trafficker, if a pimp is the first one to say that to a young person, they're going to believe that. There was, in fact, a a pimp who wrote a book from jail on how to pimp. And that was what he said. He would approach a girl and say, oh, you're beautiful. Has anyone ever told you that? And if she would be um, she's kind of shy and insecure. He knew that he could eventually build a relationship with her and convince her to do anything he wanted. 
But she, if she was confident and said, oh, thank you, and looked him in the eye, he just moved on. So it's important to teach kids where their value comes from, that they're loved, that they're cared for, that there's an open door to communication. Um, even being online, you know, what is safe online? What isn't safe online? When you hand your child a phone, it is so important to talk about uh, risk that comes with using apps and what you share on social media because there are um, people that are predators, unfortunately, traffickers that are looking to build a relationship, especially through social media, and eventually use it to exploit that person. Um, so when you give your kids these devices, it's important to partner along with them and talk about the responsibility of who do you talk to online? Who is it appropriate to talk to online? What should you do if you're in a conversation that grows uncomfortable? I'm approachable. Come to me as a parent. Let's talk about this because you want to make sure that they have a place to go if they find themselves in a situation that um, could potentially lead to something dangerous. You're hearing Stand Up for the Truth. I'm Crash. Uh, guest today, Tara Koslowski from the Damascus Road Project in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And how well have you seen in your travels, how well are the, uh, I guess, what's the word? I was going to say not knowledgeable, but equipped uh, police uh, law enforcement to handle this. How does law enforcement handle it? Yeah, well, uh, as far as the, the, are they well educated? Oh, they well educated. It? Yeah. So and I, I want to just go back for one second because I think it's important to know when we're talking about Internet safety, there is also a trafficking on there's a, a reporting website on NECMEC, National, uh, the, the service NECMEC is National um, Center for Exploited Children. And there's a hotline number on there or like an online reporting tool, I should say, um, where anybody, a child can go to report any behavior that they're experiencing online if adults are trying to ask them for uh, pictures, nude photos, any type of conversation that they're not comfortable with. Anybody can go to this reporting tool and report any of those things, even children can go there so that they don't feel like I've, I've encountered this conversation and now I don't know what to do. So just wanted to let you know that that exists and it's really important for kids to know they don't have to feel isolated if they've engaged in these conversations online or in social gaming. That's another big one where kids are playing games. You know, you can have like, I'm not a gamer, but you know, interactive games where you're playing with somebody from another country. There's you chat with those people and those are that's another inroad to gain um, relationships where an adult to start talking to a child. Um, so, yeah, with law enforcement. What was that website? Oh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So is it? it and we can post the link on, okay, a, on the podcast because right. it, it's sure. a longer link. So, yeah, we'll post it so that we have it. It is right a website. Yes. And I was trying to segue to that question about the officers, but I, I do want to stay in this in, in this uh, camp right now because uh, I have been I've taken my family to local uh, police departments that have have put on little seminars about mm -hmm. dangerous apps and what you can do. And so I just uh, praise God here locally. It seems like they're, they're quite aware of it. And mm -hmm. here in Northeast Wisconsin, I 41 is a big hub. Yeah. Anywhere that it is, it is a big hub for remember earlier. We were talking about how once someone is recruited, their trafficker may move them to wherever they can make money. And so in our area, um, as I've, I have worked with law enforcement in the Valley, um, in Milwaukee as well. And now we're finding that a lot of girls are being brought to our area, to the Wausau area further north because it's so saturated 
the number of um, women that are being forced into prostitution and are working in prostitution out on the street. There's so many women there that they, they can't make as much money as, um, you know, because there's so many other people. There's so many women trapped in trafficking in Milwaukee that their traffickers need to bring them other locations so they can make more money for them. Most traffickers, I will say when I'm saying that, is that most traffickers will place a quota on uh, their victim and say, you need to make this much money each night and threaten to hurt their family or threaten to hurt them if they don't comply. So that's why when I, I, I try to use, not use the word work, but they are forced to work in prostitution, but the money that they're getting, it, they're being forced to make a certain amount of money and then they have to give that all to their pimp who controls it. So uh, what about across America? Are I know there's so many things that have happened, but I don't want to get too far ahead here. But with uh, Sound of Freedom and, and things like this, the, the looks like the awareness has probably hopefully gone through the roof in 2023, I hope. Yeah, there, I mean, the Sound of Freedom has has been mostly beneficial um, because I, our director has worked with Tim Ballard um, on, on a mission before. And what he's doing is incredible. Um, but that is one aspect of trafficking. So in other countries, especially in impoverished areas, trafficking often takes the form of something called debt bondage, where the trafficker will approach a family and say, you know, you can't afford your children, I can get them a job. And we, in our culture, we wouldn't really think of doing that. But if they have no other choice, they might, with the hopes of thinking their child could get a job, let them go. And eventually, of course, that trafficker takes them and sells them to a brothel, which is a place where prostitution takes place. They have to stay and live in this brothel um, and and be forced into prostitution to pay off their debt. Their brothel says, we bought you and now you owe us. You live here. We feed you. Now you have to pay us back. And so that's kind of in the movie Sound of Freedom, too. It was um, where the, the family was um, pulled in with a business opportunity. That's kind of how they were suckered in. Um, and then the, the kids were kidnapped. And so that does happen, especially in impoverished areas or around the country. In our country, that can happen, too. But more trafficking happens through that relationship building. Basically, um, the pimp who decided to write this book about how to pimp uh, from jail, he said, you have to look for a person's weakness. And once you know what that weakness is, insert yourself as the answer to that problem. So if they're if they're a runaway, if they're homeless, clearly they need a place to stay. They need, they don't have anything with them. Usually someone who's run away is running away from home and it's usually an abusive situation at home that they didn't plan for. So they have nothing. And here comes someone, a trafficker who says, hey, I can, I can give you a place to live. You can come live with me. And they think this is great. This is finally someone who cares about me only to find out later that all that generosity did not come for free. Um, so that's just that's an example of it. But are they looking for a job? Are they looking to break into the music industry, the modeling industry? Are they looking for a boyfriend? Are they looking for a future? I'll just pretend to be the answer to that. Are they looking for a father figure? I'll pretend to be that to gain their trust and then eventually use it to convince them and eventually exploit them. So that is just kind of the nature of what it looks like in and around our country. And you're asking about law enforcement. Yes, there is more and more, like with the Sound of Freedom, like you mentioned, um, there's more, it, it gets the conversation started, but I think the conversation needs to continue because 
in the film, it specifically talks about one type of trafficking where the kids are basically taken and abducted. But as I was saying, in our country, a lot of times that it happens more so in a form of building a bond, building a relationship. And you can't see that from the outside. That's why a lot of this is happening behind closed doors until you know what to look for. And then you see that it's happening all around us. Each year, the state of Wisconsin puts out a report on trafficking in our state. And the report is called Hidden in Plain Sight. And I just think that's a perfect explanation because it's going on all around us. If there are people willing to pay for sex, if there's a demand, then there are going to be pimps or traffickers who are going to be recruiting people to make money to be able to meet that demand. And that comes in a variety of ways and a variety of different forms, kind of based on where you're located and and how trafficking occurs in that area. Stand up for the truth. This is a fresh new podcast for January 8, 2024. And we'll continue here in just a couple of minutes. Hey, some good news. I just found out that our gear store is up and running again at StandUpForTheTruth.com. And there is a gear button on that website. Or you can type in your browser, StandUpForTheTruth.com slash gear. Tara Koslowski is the guest today from Damascus Road Project in Oshkosh. We'll be back in a little bit. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Trafficking Awareness Month is uh, January, and our guest today, Tara Koslowski. Yep, she does the morning show with Scotty here on Q90FM. But uh, uh, for years, she's been involved with Damascus Road Project in Oshkosh, Human Trafficking Awareness. You're the the, the director of awareness. and Yep, and education and engagement. So basically, how can getting the information to the public, especially we're a faith-based nonprofit, how can the church and, you know, believers, what has God called us to do in terms of this is an injustice and what should our reaction be and how can I help? I mean, that is one of the questions that I know even people who are beginning to realize that this is an issue happening. That was part of the when I first started working with this issue, that was kind of the, the biggest goal is to get the information out there and to make people aware. But now that we've had a lot of awareness um, really connecting people with how can they get involved. Um, and there's so many ways to do that. I mean, locally here in Oshkosh area, um, you can get involved with the work of Damascus Road specifically. Um, but really importantly, anywhere where you're located, I think it's so important, especially if you have kids, to have conversations about this issue with them. Open conversations, that's a huge prevention tool. Um, but also, you know, connect with, there There are a lot of anti-trafficking organizations around the country. Um, I would suggest finding a faith-based one if you can in your area, partner with them, especially if you have kids in school, partner with your school and see if you can get them to come in and be able to do a presentation with the school because it's so important. The average age of recruitment into trafficking, the target age is 12 to 14 years old. And the reason being is that is an age of great vulnerabilities. Like I said earlier, traffickers look for a person's vulnerability. What is their main vulnerability? And then I'll just pretend to be whatever the answer to whatever problem they have um, for a while and then well, eventually exploit them. What uh, I, I'm thinking about the innocence because I've seen uh, some trafficking uh, s- stories on mainstream media, to my surprise. And they were talking about the younger kids that are very uh, gullible. Mm hmm. 
uh, I, I saw there was a man arrested in Florida, and his, uh, his enticement was puppies. So that's a young age. You know, that's interesting that you say that about um, puppies because I in, in the training. So we do a monthly training. This is one of the things that you can do if you're here locally to get more information. Each, mo- each month we do a human trafficking awareness 101 class. It's free and open to the public. And I, I recommend middle school and up attend. Um, but we answer all these questions. We go through what is trafficking? What does it look like? How to how you can help? But one of the stories that I talk about in my training is how um, you might have seen these videos on YouTube, but it's a, a guy that will go to a park and he will ask parents who are sitting there watching their kids. Do you teach your kids about strangers? And they all say, yes, my kid would never go with a stranger. And he said, well, I have some I have a puppy in my car over here. Can I test them? Do you think they'll go with me? And they said, sure. So he would go to the kids and say, hi, my name's John. Um, I have some puppies over here. Do you want to come see them? And all the kids went with him. Sure. And when they were asked later on, why did you go with him? Why did you go with a stranger? And they said, well, he wasn't a stranger. His name was John. And so now um, fast forward. um, uh, Now think about social media and how much people, especially young kids, are sharing um, personal information about themselves and their thoughts and their innermost feelings and emotion. It's a very vulnerable time, but how are they dealing with that? Are they, are they posting that online where anybody can see it yep. and have a conversation and use that as bait? And in a, a one training that I was doing, it was on um, social media and interaction. And the trainer had said that a person will consider someone their friend if they've had five online conversations with them. So they might not have even ever seen this person in in person to see if that is exactly who they say they are. Um, they don't know that anything about them other than that they've had five conversations with them. Now they would consider that person a friend and could possibly even be convinced through grooming, a process of grooming and building a relationship to actually leave and, and go somewhere with this person. We I wanted to talk about the uh, Super Bowl sporting events. The first time I even heard about this, it had to have been 20 years ago. Uh, I knew a pastor that was raising funds. He was going to the uh, World Cup Mm -hmm. to do an outreach. And that's the first time I heard about that. It seemed unbelievable to me. I said, what is this all about? And and you know what I'm talking about. He says, there's uh, we're going to be sharing the gospel and and helping these kids that are uh, being exploited at the World Cup. And I went, I didn't even know what that looked like. Like, what do you mean? There's a ticket line, and then there's somebody over here, and what does that even look like? Yes, and so sporting events are big, because you talk about that was Mm -hmm. was one of your, the Super Bowl. Yeah. I've been to many Super Bowls now. The first, I started doing Super Bowl outreaches. My first one was in Miami in 2008, and it was when I was very new to, it was kind of like my boot camp in a sense of, of outreach. I had done a lot of, I gathered a lot of information. I had spoke to churches. I'd done a lot of speaking engagements, but I never had actually worked firsthand uh, in a firsthand experience. And so I went down to Miami. Um, I was with a group of people. We were going there to do Super Bowl outreach and nobody really had done outreach there before. Um, and Miami, you know, I, I was pretty, pretty green at this. So I was just kind of looking for what maybe somebody else would look for. Is there somebody I'm trying to find somebody who needs help. Are they dressed kind of provocatively? Are they behaving kind of provocatively? Well, if you go to Miami, uh, that was pretty much everybody, it seemed like, down on South Beach. And so we actually got training. My first real training on how to do in-person outreach um, was with a local nonprofit there. And they taught me what to look for. There's actual 
uh, rules, the, the whole process of recruiting someone into trafficking is known as the life or the game. And once someone is recruited into this life, there's there's rules, there's um you know, they, the girls, they'll call their pimps daddy. They refer to each other as, as wifeys. If there's multiple girls that this pimp is, is forced into prostitution and there's rules of the house. He uh, uh, operates all the has all the money. He tells the girls when they can eat. He will buy them things as he see fits. They have to make a certain amount of money. They know the consequences when they break the rules. So it's hard for them to get out of that situation because the trafficker will, the pimp will sometimes give them nice, expensive things. And so they, they might also get beaten up. So it's this back and forth. It's very much like an abusive relationship where they want to leave. Um, but then their pimp will give them a, a nice gift. And so now they're torn. They don't want to leave. And, and he really loves me. So I don't want to leave. Um, so it's a very manipulative situation. So once I knew the rules of the game, I knew what to look for on South Beach. And I would see everything they told me was happening. I could see it in front of my eyes. I could see pimps standing on were stairs along the street. The pimps was there were stairs to hotels. So there'd be hotels lining the streets. The hotels would have stairs. The pimps would be on the stairs. And I could see, I looked to the left and there was a girls just standing on the curb. He was contacting them via cell phone, telling them which cars to get into. A car would pick them up. They'd get in, come back about an hour later. Um, I saw two pimps. There's rules about uh, if someone chooses a different pimp, um, what are the indicators of that? I saw that happening. So once I knew what to look for, I could see what was actually happening. And this was all before the Super Bowl. So that was my first kind of boot camp experience. But then I kept doing a few more and a few more. And the one that we did in Indianapolis, our organization actually helped to organize the outreach for that. And we partnered with Teresa Flores, a survivor who, um, after she was trafficked as a teenager, from the ages of 15 to 17, years later, came up with the idea to put the trafficking hotline on hotel soap and take that to hotels and gas stations in the area where the Super Bowl was happening, mainly because it's not just limited to the Super Bowl, but it's just anywhere that tourism increases, there's going to be an influx of people coming for whatever that event is and then wanting to have a good time at night, party, go to clubs and things like that. Maybe they'll try to meet somebody at the club maybe they'll maybe they didn't meet somebody at the club then they're gonna could go online find a sex for sale website meet someone who's looking and being advertised as a date or an escort which is common terminology to make it look like it's legal Um, but really oftentimes these women that are advertised on sex for sale websites are uh, forced into prostitution are trafficking victims so at that outreach um, in indianapolis we actually had america's most wanted come and film our outreach And during that process, we looked for missing kids. We educated hotels and gas stations on what to look for. But then we also did outreach during the big event. And during the Super Bowl, there is um, a Super Bowl village. And they'll have all kinds of fun games and things for families. But at night, there's big businesses that rent out buildings and use them for parties. So one year uh, in Indianapolis, Playboy had rented out one of the buildings and was using it for a big party. And we, what we were doing was we had a booklet of missing kids pictures. We'd look at the pictures and then we would go online and try to see if they were being advertised online. We would go around Super Bowl Village and see if we could find any of them. And one situation, we noticed that a van pulled up in front of this um, Playboy party. And a young girl came out and she was frantically trying to get into the party. Um, but she must have been too young, obviously. So she couldn't get in and she ran around behind in an alley and someone snuck her in. 
And, you know, that's kind of like big red flags there because I'm my guess was that why was she trying to get in so frantically into this building if her her pimp had set up a date for her and he was there, she would have to go and meet with him um, and find him because if she came back with no money, she would suffer severe consequences for that. So that's just an example. And you're going to hear before the Super Bowl all kinds of numbers. This many people are brought to the Super Bowl to be trafficked. I don't ever use those kind of statistics because I just explain it as a business. This is the second largest criminal industry in the world. So that means there's supply and demand. And anywhere that the demand is going to increase, like a tourist event, there are going to be pimps who are going to be bringing their victims to these events in order to make money. And the reason they do that is because human trafficking is a $150 billion business. $150 billion in annual profits is made from the exploitation of people. Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Stand up for the truth. The guest is Tara Koslowski from the Damascus Road Project. And we've got about another 17 minutes here. I wanted to be sure that folks were uh, that are hearing this probably for the first time that they let's, let's talk about the positive options that are available for folks to get involved and and help out with mm-hmm. this kind of madness. You know, I wanted to share. I'm going to go back and share one more thing about the Super Bowl because okay. it's a <laughs> okay. You'll allow that. That's right. <laughs> because it is a pot. It is a. It's an incredible story of God's intervention. Um, each year, like I said, we would go to the Super Bowl outreaches and look for missing kids. In many years, when we would go to hotels and do trainings for their hotel staff and teach them what to look for, we'd take our booklets and of the pictures of kids and they would say, they would point out multiple kids that they had seen and known because those kids were in and out of their establishments constantly. They were being trafficked in and out of those hotels. And a lot of the reaction of the staff was, we thought something was going on, but we just didn't know what to do. I mean, we saw kids coming in and out of this room. We saw lots of hotel keys. We saw all the indicators, um, but we didn't know what to do. And so we gave them the trafficking hotline numbers so that they could have someone to contact. We would also partner with local police who we knew were educated on trafficking so they could also go to the police with information. So we would have each year, anytime we had... um we wouldn't. I'd, it would sometimes with recoveries. I, recoveries is a hard word to say because if someone's over the age of eighteen, they have to choose to leave the situation. If they are a minor, though, it would be a rescue or a recovery. But um, one year we were at the Super Bowl in Phoenix, and we didn't have a big booklet of pictures of missing kids that year. We only had four pictures, and they were on individual flyers. So we had partnered with a church who had volunteers ready to go. We handed out pictures. We had a whole stacks of each picture of each of these kids. And the groups took these pictures, and they went and canvassed the city. One of the volunteers came up and said, I can't go canvass the city today. I'm a limo driver. But I could take some pictures around to my coworkers. We only had one picture left. We hadn't allotted for that. So we were out of copies and we only had one picture of one girl left. So we gave him that. And within several hours, he contacted us and said, one of my fellow drivers had this girl in her car yesterday. And so it was just amazing. I mean, I have chills every time I tell the story of how... um, You can see these pictures oftentimes of missing kids that we wonder what happened to them. Mm -hmm. And not all of them have been trafficked, but it could it could be that they've been trafficked. And so the God still knows where they are and still cares about them. And as we get more information into the community and to businesses and help get more eyes out there to see uh, and know what to look for, 
um, hopefully they can end in situations like this where lost children are found and helped. Now we're going to talk about the website. We'll post the uh, link that you were talking about earlier on today's post at StandUpForTheTruth.com. But again, um, what can I do? What can we do to uh, be a part of this fight? If you are, of course, locally here in, in, the, in the Green Bay area or Oshkosh area, um, Damascus Road, we are a faith-based nonprofit located in Oshkosh, and we do lots of different things um, to raise awareness. We go and speak in churches and community groups. We hold our 101 trainings each month. So I would suggest bringing teens and young adults especially to our trainings to get the information to them. Um, we also have... Um, monthly family dinners. We have an aftercare program where we work with women who are 18 or older who are victims of human trafficking or commercial sexual exploitation. And basically what that is, is um, human trafficking is recruiting someone and forcing them into prostitution for sex. Commercial sexual exploitation is any other form of uh, somebody benefiting, getting money off of the exploitation of someone else, like Working, forcing them to work in a strip club or forcing them to do pornography or sugar daddy, something like that, where they're being exploited for money. Um, but, so those are the types of women that we help in our aftercare. We have volunteer positions available. Um, we have a one of the things that is really awesome that anybody can do, no matter where you're located, is to pray. And we have a prayer ministry called Scarlet Cord, where we give you the uh, initials. We don't give out a name for just... Um, security reasons. But um, if you're interested in being a part of that, you just contact us on our website. We'll give you the initials of someone that we're working with in our aftercare program. And then you just continue to keep them in prayer as the Lord leads you. Um, And really throughout this process, sometimes we can give updates um, on how someone is doing and their prayer needs. We can't always do that. Usually right away we'll, we'll give the, the people who are praying a little description of the person. We might get updates after that, so we'll send those along. But even if we don't, the victims struggle their whole lives with trauma. They struggle with flashbacks and addiction. Alcohol addiction is common because they're trying to cope through the pain of what they've experienced. And so we know that even if they're not in our care anymore, anywhere along their journey in life, they're going to need uh, prayer covering. And so just as long as the Lord leads you, we ask you to pray. Um, we all are a faith-based nonprofit, like I mentioned. And so we were all funded. Um, we all operate through funds and, and donations um, through the, the community and through churches and through individuals. So if that is an area that God has gifted you to help in, um, you can find all the information about our organization, um, how to give, how to sign up to be a prayer partner, through our website, damascusroadproject.org. Are there other organizations in the Northeast of Wisconsin that you can uh, mention by yes. memory? Yes. Um, we had just talked in the morning show, we talked with Keisha from Awaken Wisconsin. That's a newer organization. They've been here for a year, but their their main, organi- their main uh, organization is headquartered in uh, Reno, and now they've branched off into Green Bay. So that is in Green Bay, and they do similar things. They do community education. They help women in aftercare as well. Um, they also are going to be doing a Human Trafficking Awareness Day event coming up January 11th. They're going to have a prayer event at their location. In January 11th is a very important date. It is. Even The whole month of January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, but specifically January 11th is Human Trafficking Awareness Day. And since 
2010 was the first year that Congress declared National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Since then, we have held a rally in Oshkosh holding up signs to raise awareness about the issue from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. So we're going to be doing that again this year. If you're in our local area, we would love to have you come out. We have we've had families join us, men, women, kids. If you can hold a sign We have got the signs. We just need people to hold them for two hours. You don't have to stay the whole time if you can't, but if you can come and be a part of it, if you're in the area, we would love to have you partner with us. If you're not in the local area, but you could start something like this in your area, it's very easy to do. You can make your own signs. We partnered with a print shop who donated the signs. Um, Many of our signs, some we paid for. Sometimes people have made their own signs in the past. You can do that too, but It's very simple. We can help you do that as well. So contact us. We can help you uh, figure out how to start a rally in your area, how to do a community outreach in your area. How do you go to businesses and hotels and train them on trafficking? We've trained churches and volunteers to do that in their communities. So if that's something you're interested in doing, contact us, you know, throughout, we've done that throughout the U.S. and we can come to your location and train you on how to do that too. Tara, is there anything you'd like to say to any youth pastors listening? Mm. (laughs) Have someone, have a speaker come in and talk on this topic. Um, It's so crucial. Is it age appropriate? Absolutely. That's who my, one of my main roles in education with Damascus Road is speaking to middle school and high school students. My, I, actually dual majored in college and my second degree was in secondary social studies education. So I have a teaching background and I love working with students. And a lot of what happens is students just contact us or teachers contact us or principals or social workers and ask if we can come maybe do an assembly. I was on an assembly team for a couple of years, Um, but it could be a small classroom. Sometimes that's nicer because you can interact more. You can have questions. Um, It could be sometimes it's student led where a student is actually wanting to do a project to educate their peers. Every year we do an ongoing project with a high school in Oshkosh, and that's what they do. I work with a group of students. We come up with a project that they can do to educate the community and their peers on human trafficking. So uh, we only got just about uh, about six minutes left here. I want to make sure that we covered everything that you'd like to cover. I know you talked about the uh, the uh, rally coming up on the 11th. That's this Thursday. Thursday, and in our area, they're calling for snow tomorrow, but it should be cleared out by Thursday. So we should be good to go on that day. And the Oshkosh Police Department, they're also going to be bringing their community vehicle out for us. This is a big kind of RV looking thing, and we go and we get warm in there. So don't worry about that dress warm, but don't worry. We have uh, we have warm drinks and the signs. We just need people to come and join us for that. And did you mention the uh, one-on-one training that's going to be happening before that? We, I, I did not, but we are going to be having one of our one-on-one trainings. Like I mentioned, we have those once a month at our office. Um, we are going to be having one before the rally from 9 to 1045 on Thursday. You don't have to go through the training to, to do the rally, but that's where we cover all of those questions. Why are we doing what we're doing? What is human trafficking? We go more in depth on the things that I explained today. So we're going to be doing that before the rally. If you want to attend one of those trainings and you can't come in the morning, we are going to be having another one of those in the evening on January 25th at our office from 6 to 8 p.m. Well, let's uh, let's try to end this on a positive note here. (laughs) Some promising advancements, initiatives to fight against human trafficking that you are aware of. One of the things that I've been specifically challenged by is when I talk in my presentations about 
why does trafficking exist? And, and I mentioned that it's a criminal industry governed by supply and demand. Well, obviously there is a demand. And where is that demand coming from? Well, the demand is often fueled by, I learned this even my experience in Las Vegas and just over the years, the demand is largely fueled by pornography and pornography addiction. And and the reason why that is is because people are seeing, you know, an image on a screen and they maybe want to act this out. And now um, they are going to an online website because it's easy to locate these websites. And it looks like a person is selling themselves for sex. But it could often be that they have been trafficked and forced to have their picture posted there. So it's always important to ask yourself, what is going on behind the scenes? Or if you're asking yourself, how can I help? And you're struggling with a pornography addiction the biggest way you can help is to get help with that addiction. So I specifically have been challenged to, I've talked about how this is a connection, but not really offered areas and how to get help for that issue as well. Because if that's feeling the demand, if we can eliminate the demand, then traffickers won't be making money and they won't be recruiting people. So previously, we have done on Stand Up some episodes with Josh Paris about pornography and pornography Ephesians addiction. Ephesians 5 ministries. Yes. Yeah. So if that is something that you are struggling with, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to those podcasts. And he offers several ways that you can get help with that, which will extreme, you know, that will help reduce the demand. Um, but also, um, I think education and just, again, is so important as parents that you're talking with your children. Don't be afraid to, it's, it's easy to want to shelter children and not tell them about about these things that are that are dark and scary, and I, my, after I learned all this information, I wanted to pretend like I didn't know. Um, but I would rather have my loved one, my child, find out about it in a conversation with me than to not know and be recruited by a trafficker through the process of pretending to be a boyfriend or pretending to have a job opportunity. Um, and I think that having the conversation is uh, an easy way to talk to your kids, but also to show them that we don't have to be, this is a dark topic, but we don't have to be afraid. It's important to share the information. Traffickers, the number one, uh, one of the number one vulnerabilities is just they look for someone who doesn't know the schemes that a trafficker would use. They're vulnerable, they're ignorant, they don't know. And so that's why it's so important for us to get information out there to uh, help parents, especially talk with their kids, but also to educate communities um, anybody could be a victim no matter what their age is and so it's important to get this information out there um so i i want to leave like you said on an encouraging note since damascus road since we started keeping track since 2017 we have worked with over 550 um, women who were victims of trafficking or commercial sexual exploitation and we just continue to see uh god work in their lives our um organization damascus road we call it the, the journey to restoration. And we truly believe that with an encounter with Christ, a life can be changed. And so that is our goal. And we know and we've seen that happen. Um, we can make a difference and everyone should try. Um, now that you know, you can choose to say that you, you can choose to look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know. The website, damascusroadproject.org. We'll post this podcast coming up here soon.